Welcome to Truth and Reconciliation with Bookie Shonoga. This program is inspired by the brutal murder of Judge Floyd and is rooted on the premise that without candid and uncomfortable conversations on systemic racism in America, we cannot begin the process of healing and resolve. The show also presents the African diaspora perspectives on the transatlantic slave trade and institutional racism in America. Today's topic, how does cultural identity impact race and racism in, in America? To continue that conversation we started last week, I'm joined by Milton Alamadi. Milton is an adjunct professor of African history at John Jay College of the University of New York. He publishes New York City-based Black Star News, a Pan-African media outlet. You can also catch his program on WBAI, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. He's also a frequent guest news analyst on Voice of America. Milton, thank you and welcome once again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for discussing this great topic. Yeah. So as we, you know, uh, started last week, we're talking about how cultural identity impact race and racism in America and um, how African immigrants, well, yeah, in this context, it's African immigrants, as black people, when African immigrants arrive here in America, most of us identify as African because the color black is not something that even come to mind that we don't even understand what that means, the color black. But as we live in this country and begin to understand uh, the, the race construct and the impact is this monumental imp, you know, impact of race construct you know, on black people in this country, we began to understand why African-Americans are black and why we identify, why we must um, identify as black. So that's the conversation I, I would like to continue and I thank you for coming back. So what do you, my question is, do you think identifying as, as black in other words, African, African immigrants identifying as black, for instance, do you think there's any advantage or disadvantage to that? I personally, yes. I see only advantages, particularly in the long term, because look, a, some decades ago, you could come here as Irish American, you could come here as Italian, and become Italian-American. But for a very long time, you would be at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. In fact, at some point, Irish Americans and Italian-Americans were treated as somewhat second-class citizens relative to other European-Americans. But that is no longer the case in the 21st century. But if you come here as an African, you will always be treated as a black person in America. You will never be able to so-called integrate <laughs> and become part of the establishment structure so that in any way would you find yourself as a group as a class somewhat elevated relative to African-Americans. So that is why I personally see it 
as a waste of time for somebody who wants to consciously try to separate himself or herself from descendants of Africa, from descendants of slavery in this country. Now, if somebody comes here and says, it is important for me, for my pride and my culture to say, I insist that I am African first and Ugandan first and South African first and Nigerian first, that's fine for cultural reasons. But the reality of the fact is that if you want to maintain your existence in this country as an American, sooner or later you are going to face the reality that there's nothing special about you. There's nothing special about you relative to so-called African Americans. You will be discriminated against whether you're facing injustice in terms of housing, in terms of health care, in terms of law enforcement, in terms of the court system, in terms of education, in terms of opportunities at your workplace professionally. So that is the bottom line. Now, I do agree. I agree that you find instances for the purpose of divine and rule, part of the establishment would elevate some African immigrants for two reasons. Number one, to keep that divide and rule mechanism ongoing. Number two, it is to exonerate themselves from responsibility and say, why are you African-Americans always complaining? Look, this African immigrant just arrived recently and is now enjoying some level of success. And that's a very false narrative. And it proves two things. Number one, it's a false narrative because you can't treat the entire population of so-called African-Americans the same way that you're picking up these African immigrants to showcase them, right? Mm -hmm. That's number one. The other side of that same equation proves that the establishment knows that it discriminates against African Americans by the mere fact that it's going out of its way to elevate a selective few African immigrants to showcase them. Why don't you do it to everybody? regardless of their ethnic origin, regardless of their race. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do the same thing to African-Americans now? That's how I respond to that question. Absolutely, really profound, so profound. And I see a contradiction here as a dichotomy somewhat. When you first started, you know, these, uh, you know, explaining or educating us on, on on the background of that race construct, you mentioned, Italian-American and Irish-Americans. And you said that when they came here, I'm not just saying it, but also it's you know, fact-based, that when they came here, they were discriminated against because they identified as Italian-Americans or Irish-Americans. Isn't that, were they not identifying 
as Irish Americans or Italian Americans because of their heritage. That's where they came from, and that's the that's the truthfulness of, of who they are. That is their you know cultural heritage. So now, when they now, I'm just trying to gather you know your your, your real take on that. So when they are you saying that, or do you believe that when they now identify as American? their condition got better, so to speak. That's one, one, one question I have. Secondly, isn't that the whole point that when someone comes here and they identify as who they truly are, and then they can better contribute to this society because they are what informs their, who they are, their self-identity has to do with their, you know, again, their cultural back background, their social values, and the way they were raised in whatever culture they were coming from. And that allows them to really be the best that they can in the new country that they have adopted, right? So when Africans come here like other immigrants and they behave differently from, if you will, indigenous, maybe that's not the right word, behave differently from black Americans. Isn't that correct though? Because they are, they're, they're behaving based on their culture and social values and they're being authentic in who they are and how they show up in this country. So how then, then identifying as black, I believe, sort of erase all of that cultural heritage richness. Same thing as how Italian American, Irish Americans face the same struggle when they try to identify as who they are. So I, I hope I'm not convoluting the question that I'm that I'm asking you. So no, I understand your question. Right. So please speak to that. Well, number one, yes. They found that they become much more successful when they see themselves as so-called white. They maintain that culture, Irish, Irish American, Italian, Italian American. They can do that in their social settings. But at the same time, they have a very different narrative. They ultimately, collectively, historically, have been part of the ruling class. And that is why now they're integrated. They have celebrations such as Columbus Day, as you know, right. which they claim to be a celebration of their heritage, when in fact Columbus, as we know, was a slaver. Right. was a person involved in genocide of indigenous populations. But as people of European ancestry, they are able to have it, to have the, both, the best of both ways, right? To have their cake and to eat it too. So there are times when, yes, it pays off to celebrate their unique heritage. Mm -hmm. from their countries of origin. But that becomes secondary when it comes to professional success, opportunities, access to wealth in this country, then they're first and foremost Europeans. As Africans, you don't have that advantage. The minute you walk in this country, you land, you're perceived as black. Now, you may not like it, but sooner or later, it will dawn upon you. You will get rudely reminded that you are indeed black. Mm 
For some people, it takes a while. For some people, it happens immediately, professionally, right. and even when it comes to law enforcement. And we've discussed cases such as Amadou Diallo, right. Usman Zongo, and many other cases around the country. So that is the fact that sooner or later, an African immigrant has to realize. And when you talk about culture and behavior, what is it that determines this after all? In a society where we have mass media and advertising and, um, and movies and other entertainment, being disseminated, the media and music, for example, are Africans who are born in this country, who are in junior or in high school right now, do they really share the same attitude and disposition towards their African culture as their parents or their great or their or their grandparents? Mm -hmm. I have my doubt about this because, you know, I see that. I because the longer they live in this country, they are going to be subjected, not in the extreme way in which it happened to the descendants of people who were enslaved. In their case, it was brutal, the eradication and destruction of their culture, of their religion, of their language, of their heritage, of their history. That was done brutally during the slave regime to emasculate them physically, mentally, psychologically, right. so that they would surrender completely and be much more willing to be abused. So that happened in a most vicious way. Right. And it has many repercussions that we still see in the 21st century in terms of the destruction of the black family that was part of it the destruction during the era of slavery right so why am i saying this now i say this to suggest that if these young africans i'm referring to mm -hmm. are not well grounded in their history and their culture sooner or later they too will find that they've forgotten a lot of this heritage which to me is actually very important right. it fortifies you so even though italian americans are integrated as europeans they know their history and culture so when the time is right they can always celebrate that and remind themselves of that the same thing for Irish Americans, the same thing for other Europeans who know specifically which country they come from. How are we going to maintain that African heritage? It's a danger because as we discussed in the first episode in which you interviewed me, I indicated that I have students at my, in my class at John Jay College who come from Africa and are not even well aware about their history and their culture. And that is coming from Africa. 
So what about the ones that are born here in the United States? When you have parents that may be holding down two to three jobs wow. to maintain their families, are they going to have time to really teach this culture and heritage? You know, I, I really do. Yeah. So that is the danger we're facing. And that is why I think if we see ourselves as a collective and we insist that this history, heritage, and culture be taught widely, including in the schools, why should we not be part of the people that set the curricula in this country? Right. Why not? This is not an entirely European American country. In fact, as the demographic, demographic shifts occur in the next few decades, this is going to be a so-called ethnic majority country. So it's important that we start insisting that the curricula also reflect that, the media reflect that, the music, the arts reflect that as well. We should not be subjected to European American cultural and educational hegemony. And that's really very powerful, I mean, Milton, and we can go in so many directions with it. There's so much to unpack. First off, talking about American-born, you know, uh, children, first generation, I mean, I can attest because I'm a parent, and I think that this is where the cultural and education comes in, not textbook, but passing on knowledge and how you raise your child in this society, it is so crucial. And when when someone sees someone's skin and they are calling them black or white, which is not, you know, I have a list here in terms of when you look at someone's complexion, it could be olive, it could be nutmeg, it could be cinnamon, it could be chocolate, it could be all of those hues, right? But then the opposite of that is white. Anything that's just whatever that is, which, which is, again, speaks to the construction of race that is so... The concept is, 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 is powerful in itself for the damage it has done so far. But, but, in, but in, in fundamentally, it's just, it's just nonsense. And we know this. Because you can't look at someone's skin and say this is who they are by the color of their skin. Uh, but, but most importantly, going back to preserving the African cultural heritage and traditional customs and so on, passing on that knowledge, that lies in upbringing in this society even though we live here and you touch upon that as a parent and as a single parent i've had to compromise not compromise i've had to really sacrifice a lot of my personal desires whether it's professionally or, or personally to raise my son so parenting from home this is what informs how our children behave no matter what color they are now, for American-born, first-generation American of African descent, of, from African parents, it is crucial, first off, that we understand who we are, holding on to that identity, not letting go of it, because that's the only way that we can inform this, we can impact this, impart rather, on our children as they grow up, whether it's the cooking, whether it's how you deal with your elders, whether you, how you deal with society. We, we have all of that. And I, and I promise you, because I know this, I work very, you know, on a grassroots level in the African community. I'm one of the 
you know, really hard worker and leaders in the African community in New York City since I arrived here about 40 years ago. So I know that for sure that a lot of the parents, even when they're holding three, four, five jobs, they are definitely passing on this cultural knowledge to their children. I mean, this is real because I know this for sure. How, and that is actually giving these you know, young people power when they step out of their parents' home and then when they go to school and when they encounter the system, you know, any other way outside of their home. My son is an example of that, that he's really grounded in the culture and tradition, that we're African. Yes, we're Black, but we're African. And that informs everything he does everywhere he goes. And you said something that I also want to, you know, get back to and I'll, and I'll let you, you know, pick up in a minute, about when people are holding three, four, five jobs and they're not there to take care of these young people, how do you then, you know, pass on these, you know, parental, how do you pass on this knowledge that we're talking about, the preservation of this culture? How do you do that when th there used to be a program uh, that is, uh, what is that program? I think it's, it's five o'clock or something. Do you know where your children are? I'm not sure if you're familiar with that program. So when parents come home late at night as essential workers or whatever they're doing, and they don't interact with their children, they don't know where the kids have been, they don't know what they've done after school, and so they, the social media has been one conduit that's raising all these kids getting whatever information they're getting from, from all over the place. So I'm going to wrap that up to say that it is important as a parent that's of African descent that want to preserve this culture to make sure that we are there for our kids so that we can raise them the way, at least some of the way we were raised, the, the good part of how we were raised. And that's really important. So this system, of course, cannot influence that in our home but the system can influence that outside our home so so what do you what do you think needs to be done what are the steps critical steps intentional steps that we can take when our children are now in our home to make sure that they really retain these social values that we were brought up with that we're trying to pass on to them to be better citizens in societies or in american society anyway well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I congratulate you uh, for the hard work. I know it's not easy work that you've done uh, with your son. And I, I congratulate all parents that also are engaged in, you know, raising uh, young people in our urban society, such as New York City, or even any other urban area in the United States or this country, period. It's, it's a monumental challenge. So nobody should take that lightly. So I recognize that and I congratulate you. Thank you. It's not easy. And, and I wonder how many of our, our parents are able to do that kind of hard effort that you are put into it, right? That's number one. Uh, as you know, Traditionally, our children are not brought up by quote-unquote parents or the nuclear parent, right. right? Right. Our children's our children's parents are actually the the extended family, right? Right. The extended family, and if you're in a rural area in Africa, it's the so-called village. Yeah, it takes a village. The communal society. And that is something that people say right lightly when you said you just said it takes a village. 
But as you and I know, it's true. It is absolutely true. The people discipline your children because, first of all, uh, the elders are respected. Right. They're seen as the repositories of knowledge and wisdom. So at some point, the children would dare not do something that they think would dishonor their family or elders around them, right? So in, if, in effect, they're now disciplining and educating themselves, even when the immediate parents or the elders are not around, right? <laughs> they start educating themselves and even educating young people that are younger than them would admonish them and say, wait, you know that's wrong, right? So everybody who's older now starts taking on the responsibility of educating and disciplining. And when we say disciplining, we're not even talking about corporal punishment. I mean, yes, that does exist as well. But most of the time, it's by words, right? Yes. Sharing words of knowledge, as you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know that you shouldn't do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they give concrete examples and reasons why a person should not be doing that or should do it in a certain way. So now, when you're in an urban setting, such as New York, for example, that is removed because it's not that the parent doesn't want to do it. The parent is getting up too early to go to work and is coming home too late and is exhausted. Right. And most likely only takes one day off. Yes. The other question you raised was, what should we do? I think there are tremendous benefits in having social clubs. And I don't think you need a lot of resources to do this. You need a group of dedicated parents. Start with five or 10. Who creates some space and say, this is a social club where, whether it's going to be a Saturday or a Sunday, our young people are going to come here. They're going to listen to lectures. They're going to engage in some African games or traditions. Right. They're going to learn African culture. And they're going to see that regardless of what is said about Africa in the much of the major corporate media, you know, that is the, the fantasy, fantastic version of Africa. Uh -huh. This is the Africa that we as your parents grew up with. And this is the Africa we want to be a part of you. We want it to be grounded in this. We're not saying that don't embrace what you see when you go out there with your, I even don't know whether to say your American friends, because you should not see yourself as any less American anyway. You are part of the American fabric now as well, right? Yes. But you, I think you understand what I mean. Yes, 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 absolutely. So you can go out there and hang out with your quote-unquote American friends and do what may not seem close to quote-unquote African culture and tradition. But now you now have options, right? You're not obligated. There's some things that you may find distasteful because you're comparing it to what you've learned as part of your African culture and history. 
that you're now stronger and in a position to make your own decision and say, no, I can't do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that, <laughs> right? Right. I'm comfortable doing this, so yes, I'll do that. Right. But when you go out there and you have no knowledge at all about the good things about Africa, then you're a blank slate, right? Then people can take advantage of you. Then you don't have a position to make that choice. You should just start absorbing anything, including things that may be harmful to you. So that's why I think it's important for parents to create this space and it can be done and the space the young people will be told that no this is not only what we want you to do we're not saying we're closing you from the broader american society no we're saying we want you to go out there but go out there equipped with what we are teaching you as well right then i think you'll have children that become much stronger and participate in a much more effective way in the broader American society. Right. And I think if a few parents start doing this, this is something that I can see going viral because the needs and the demand and the pressure is not only here in New York City, is wherever African immigrants also reside. So I, I totally agree with you, Milton. And, and also to let our listeners know that a while back, well, when Inspector Lolaube, you know, was Inspector, you know, in one of the prisons in Harlem in this district, right? We had several community uh, uh, sessions with her and some parents, actually some, some, some of the African immigrant uh, community leaders in Harlem had called for that meeting because they felt that they're losing their power as parents. Their kids, their children not, were not listening to them. And they felt that you know, their children are learning more from this society, from this culture, that when they try to raise them and inform them of how they were raised and, you know, kind of important on them, that they were not, it was not registering. They were actually losing their parental power. And we had that, you know, um, town hall meeting several times to reinforce uh, uh, the, the, the parents' power to, to let them know that we're here to support them and to also let them know that they are right. They shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't surrender to their own children, their parents. So that's, it. that's one of the challenges we face as an immigrant community where, you know, when your child is home, this is Africa, but when you step out, you're in America. Everything else they do outside our home is in the American society. And if they don't have any solid grounding at home, they just totally swept away by the American culture and they tended to want to come back home and then tell their parents how things are and what they want to do. That, of course, would not happen in my household. And that's where, you know, with what you prescribed, you know, a few seconds ago, having that social club is one thing. Also, there should be some, you know, academic material on that front as well. And I'm not sure how we can make this happen. And with you and some other people, maybe we can begin this process of how do we not take that education of our culture and social values outside of our home, uh, also but put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a public sphere where it will gain more impact and more people will be, you know, away and be exposed to that culture and how we do things. And I think that's one of the ways we can begin to, the process of that preservation of our culture so that we don't totally surrender to this, the racist part of this country where our kids are facing that racism when they go to school, whatever they do, you know. Do, do, do you understand what I mean? Of course, I understand. Yeah. 
I remember I, I also in our first session I yeah I you talked do that right I talked about that uh, the uh, short speech by Malcolm X you can't hate the roots of a tree without hating the tree right right so that is what so-called African Americans are subjected to in this country when Africa is demonized right mm -hmm. so. Our young African immigrants, some of them also feel that same pressure, right? right? They get teased. They get teased by other young students right. at they school. Along, sometimes they, yeah. Mm -hmm. About their Africanness and the fact that they're from Africa. Because Africa is seen as something to be ashamed of, you see? So, because that comes from the ignorance, right? The false narrative also, not just even, yeah. Right, yeah. of the uh, other children teasing them. So now they're the victims of them being teased, being bullied. They internalize this. So some of them think that the best solution is to disassociate themselves from Africa, right? They see that as a possible solution. Well, but, but of course, Jonathan, it's very false. Jonathan, I hate to interrupt. Run away. Wait, I hate to you interrupt. Run away from yourself, right? Yeah, but, but, but how how are they not getting that message that African immigrants are the most educated immigrant in this country? How are not they getting the message that the uh, you know the no, media? No, nobody cares about that. Well, I'm saying that we we are not singing, we are not communicating that information enough to our children that are encountering this situation that you were just talking about, where they can stand up and say, "Oh no." We contribute this and this to this community. We are the most educated. Our household income, median income is X, Y, Z for, for, for yeah, but see, even if they, even if they were to say that, even if they were to say that, people wouldn't care. People would say, you know, you're still African. You're still from Africa. Right. Right? Yeah. But Which reminds me actually of, <laughs> of uh, Europeans. And Europeans versus blackness, right? Right. And I don't know if I told you this story once, but a couple of years ago, I was walking on a, on a near 103rd Street and Broadway. I lived around there at that time. Mm -hmm. I lived on 99th Street and Broadway. I had a PO box on 103rd Street, so I was going to check my mailbox. It was a bitterly cold winter day. My hand was in my pocket. I was not, I, I'm not sure that I was wearing gloves, but my hand was in my pocket. And then I run into a panhandler and it's snowing and it's bitterly cold, a European American. Hmm. And he asked me for some change. And I paused, but then I said to myself, you know what, I, I, I'm sure I had, I, had, I had some coins or you know, some money in my pocket. I said, if I remove my hands from my pocket, and let's say I had gloves, if I remove my gloves as well, mm -hmm. it, when I put it back on, my hands are gonna be frozen, it's too late, right? Right. So because of the fear of that bitter cold, I paused, but then I said, I'm sorry, right? And I continued walking. And then guess what happened? Guess what he called me? <laughs> yes, he called me the N-word. Wow, imagine that. Because at the end of the day, even though he's, uh, and he looked kind of wretched, 
panhandler. He's, he's still at the end of the be day. Better. He <laughs> is a European <laughs> American, and I am black. So it didn't matter my social, my class status, right, to him. Yeah, yeah. And I must tell you, I was infuriated. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to check my mailbox. If I come back here and you're still here, I'm afraid I'm going to have to kill you. I told him that. <laughs> and I went and I checked my mail and I came back and thankfully he was gone, right? Because at the end of the day, I would be the one getting arrested, right? <laughs> but I say this because I say this to draw the analogy. So you may say you have this income level, you have this education level. At the end of the day, you're still African. Right. So, I'm probably so. And it's not what someone calls me, it's what exactly. I what I really am that matters. Right. And it's funny right. you that, that that illustration you just gave. Something happened. I mean, this is amazing. Something happened to me recently <laughs> during COVID. I went out to downtown 14th Street area. My son and I went going to get something to eat. So these again white guy approached me asking for something and you know i was actually gonna give this guy something for sure and i was like oh the same situation like i really don't feel like digging in my bag i'm not even sure if i have any any singles or something you know and i i, I just continue walking now, i'll be honest let Thank me interject you. i'll be honest i normally give i give to women i give to african-american right but yeah. you know and I, yeah, Sometimes I, I give because I feel the person needs it. Well, I, I give. But, to you know, I just wanted to say that. But go ahead. But the, but this guy, I I stopped right to contemplate. You know, do I have any singles? I want to give this guy some. I even asked him if he has any 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 singles. He says no. And then we continue. I actually stopped. Then we continue walking because we don't really think we have anything to give him. And he called me uh the N word and a bitch. See, see, what did I tell you? <laughs> I say you, you say, annoy me. I'm like, look, oh my god. At the end of the day, you know, that's how perverted people have become. Right. And we that's how toxic. Knowing we, that race is a construct, mm -hmm. knowing that when Africans come here and facing the the same pre-existing condition, if you will, economic oppression and so on in this society, institutional racism and so we still excel whereas some african-americans in studying conditions might not have that is an, to me is an illustration that it's about who you are and of course you're also your condition but we we happen to have not been exposed to that situation some of us have been able to perform better in this society even if people that live in the same condition certain zip certain zip codes rather as African-Americans and brown and black Americans that have been oppressed. Do you understand what I mean? That yeah, it's, but it's not the same. It's, it's we, not the same. It's not yeah, the same. Right. We come with, yeah, we come with certain upbringing or certain, you know, fundamental. And certain history and legacy. Right. That, that allow us to. You and, don't have children back in African countries in primary school right. where a European is telling your child, you'll never amount to much. You can only do this. You can't be a doctor. You can't be a lawyer. You can't be an engineer. Look to something where you're going to be working with your hands, right? Right. And as we know, that is told to a lot of young so-called African-American children right. in this country. At every level, their confidence is undermined. 
Whereas back home, our teachers, our parents tell us you can do anything. In fact, they don't tell you. Uh, don't you dare come back home <laughs> if you're not a doctor, right? This is don't why you come back home. Culture. Yeah, Mil Milton, this not is an why that culture because is they important. expect that for you. Right. And if they find that a teacher is telling their children otherwise, you know what they'll do, right? right. They'll go to the school and they'll confront that teacher and make sure that teacher is not teaching their kids anymore. So we come here with certain privileges, even though they may not be apparent immediately. Right. And that's why I keep saying, we need to find a way to right. share this foundation mutually. It must continue to strengthen African immigrants. It must strengthen our sisters and brothers in, the, in this country, so-called African-Americans. At the end of the day, Africa is missing only one ingredient, and that is the unity of the collective. Right. Look, Europeans fought most brutal wars historically, and let's just take a look at two of them, World War I and World War II, right? They talk about tribal wars in Africa. This is the most tribal as it gets. World War II killed 60 million people, right? right? So they ought to keep talking about, oh, look how barbaric they are in, in Rwanda. Look how barbaric they are in Congo. And we can go into who's behind those wars as well. Right. Who's arming, you know, each side and who's benefiting by extracting minerals. But I don't want to detract from the main point I want to make. Right. I want to make the point that even though they fight bloody destructive wars on some issues, they're on the same page. They're on the same page. When they wanted to partition Africa, they said, fellow Europeans, let's not fight amongst each other. At the end of the day, let's fight the Africans. We want their land. We want their resources. Germany, France, don't fight each other. Britain, Germany, don't fight each other. Spain, Belgium, don't fight each other. No. So they met in Berlin, right? <laughs> the so-called Berlin Conference in 1884-85 hosted by Emperor, the uh, Chancellor, German Chancellor, mm -hmm. Otto van Bismarck. And they partitioned Africa like gentlemen robbers. They didn't fight each other. They say, France, these are the countries you get, the region you get. Britain, this is yours. Belgium, this is yours. Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, they did not kill each other. They divided the continent. They benefited from the continent, and they still benefit up today. Even after they partitioned the continent in 1884, they still fought those world wars, right? World War I was in 1914. Right. World War II was in 1939 to 1945. But on some issues, they get together, the big issues. So that's why I keep insisting, as Africans, as people of African descent, Right. We need to identify some big issues and get together on those issues. We'd absolutely. And we'll definitely continue this conversation uh, because as Africans that chose to come here on our own uh, to, to live off of the legacy, uh, maybe not legacy, the, the hard work that African-American brothers and sisters have done, you know, with all the brutality, we are here because of them. Otherwise, we would not be here, right? Absolutely. And one other point I would like to add, actually, it can be done. The education, 
education. The education to show our children and so-called African-Americans that it's not always been a history of subjugation as we discussed in the first episode. My students, I can tell they get tremendous pride in coming to my class at John Jay and learning African history. My African students, as well as my so-called African-American students and the Latino students, they get pride in this class. If you go and you see the reviews, anybody can check it. <laughs> I'm not just talking. You know, go, go and look at rate, rate my professor. So I'm not just boasting. I'm saying it because I know it has value. So if we teach our students the right way, yeah, so we have to make sure that this, you know, material gets into the curriculum, which you're teaching in your class. Why should that just be in your class? Why don't we have these, again, it has to be intentional. There has to be this agenda to make sure that we get this information into curriculum, whether at elementary level, even elementary level here. They don't even talk about that in elementary level no, here. No, no, I agree with you. You know what? How in come? Every class, at one point in the semester, one student is going to say, Professor, how come I didn't learn this in high school? And then about five or six other students are going to say the same thing. It happens every semester in every class. On Daniel, thank you so much, Milton. Thank you I'm so really, much. I'm really grateful. See you next time.